turn in your Bible to Matthew 13. And as you do that, I'm going to take a seat as well. I'll join you. I'm going to give you a, my best impersonation of a first century rabbi. Before Jesus would teach, he would always sit and then teach. So I'll emulate Jesus this morning. With the rain falling outside and <clears throat> we're nice and toasty inside, the only thing we're missing here is a fireplace. There were two men living in the same village, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. He had saved money for many days and purchased it. He raised and nurtured it, even alongside his children. In fact, the lamb ate from the poor man's plate and drank from his cup and would lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler arrived at the rich man's house, unexpected. But the rich man refused to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare a meal for his guest. Instead, he stole the poor man's lamb, slaughtered it, then prepared a meal for the traveler. And at the end of that word, someone in whose presence that was being told interrupted with rage, seeking judgment for the rich man. If you're a student of the Old Testament, or if you've sat through the adult Bible class this last year as we've gone through the book of 2 Samuel, you'll recognize that that story, literally parable, comes from chapter 12, when the prophet Nathan approaches David after his heinous sin with Bathsheba and the premeditated murder of her husband Uriah, and he confronts him by telling a parable. Now, you may wonder why would I start with an Old Testament parable in order to introduce a parable from Jesus this morning. What's the intended effect? Well, the intended effect, as you'll see, will be the same. Nathan pointed his bony finger at David and said, you are that man. And he pointed that finger in judgment. He told a parable in order to expose God's judgment on David's behavior. And what we're going to find out this morning is that Jesus often spoke parables for the exact same purpose. We'll unpack that as we get through this passage that Marshall read for us this morning. Here's the context to the, the text that we'll look at. Throughout his teaching in the gospel according to Matthew and throughout his actions, Jesus has been turning the perspectives and the expectations of the people upside down, or I'd prefer to say right side up. Jesus has been teaching the crowds with authority. He has demonstrated his authority via miracles. He has denounced the doubts of the religious leaders. Those same religious leaders, though, in the previous chapter, verse 38, said, Jesus, we need you to show us another sign, which reveals their blindness, their failure to perceive who it was who is standing right there in front of them. And as a result, the people, the crowds, 
they too missed it. And as a result, they too were rejecting the teaching of Jesus. So now he says to his disciples in this passage, I'm going to speak to the crowds, but I'm only going to do that in parables. In fact, in verse 34 of chapter 13, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Today's text, and you'll notice that we're starting with verse 9. We're not starting in chapter 13 with verse 1, the beginning of the first parable. But we're going to start in verse 9 because today's text is like a template. It's like a grid to help us understand the seven parables that are yet to come in this chapter. Chapter 13. These seven parables are going to be preached over the next four Sundays here. So we decided to take a look, first of all, at why would Jesus even teach using a parable in order to help us better understand the parables that are coming. So let's start with the word itself. The term parable is often misunderstood uh, in the original language in which Matthew's writing, the Greek language, the term literally means to throw something down or throw something before or to cast something alongside something else in order to demonstrate a comparison. It's like taking something observable and objective, like in the first parable, beginning in verse 1, a sower. A sower goes out into the field and sows seeds into different kinds of soil. That's something observable. That's something objective. And it's laying it alongside something spiritual or supernatural or subjective in order to better explain it. That's one way to define a parable. A common description that you'll hear said in many churches is that, oh, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, that's partially true, too. To contemporary Christians, we like to think, well, man, parables are kind of cool. They, they're, like, they're like sermon illustrations. I wish Pastor Tim would use more of them, right? They're colorful communication tools that Jesus used to clarify his teachings. And they would be wrong, <laughs> Because parables are way more than just sermon illustrations. In fact, parables require the hearer to engage in an interactive process with what's being communicated in order for understanding to actually result. Parables force us to wrestle with ambiguity. Um, It's a fact that some in Scripture and outside of Scripture will understand parables. It'll be like, oh, that makes total sense to me, while others will not. And both of those facts are part of God's purpose. Let that sink in for a second. The theme of these parables, the seven parables in chapter 13, the theme is the kingdom of heaven. Each one communicates something different, something unexpected about God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus is correcting the misconceptions and the preconceived ideas about his kingdom, about his reign or his rule over creation, over humanity. And he does it by way of what we call kingdom stories. Now, whether you walked in here this morning as a longtime follower of Jesus, and I know many of you did, or whether you walked in here this morning with little or no understanding of who Jesus is. Either way, these kingdom stories may surprise you. They have me. 
And they will certainly instruct you about Jesus. So if you remember nothing else this morning, we've already sung about him, but our focus is on Jesus and will remain there. Here's a key idea or a big idea for this passage of Scripture. Jesus told parables to reveal truth, to judge unbelief, to fulfill prophecy, and to extend blessing. Before we get into those four what I call keys to understanding why Jesus told parables, let's, let's look first of all at verses 9 and 10, the beginning of the passage. Verse 9 actually comes on the heels of the parable of the sower, but it's a bridge verse. It both ends the parable and begins this discussion. Jesus himself says, he who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? So we have a challenge from Jesus, and we have a question from the disciples. The challenge from Jesus is interesting. He who has ears, let him hear. It's like, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you, but it's deeper than that. He said, you've got ears, you've got instruments to pick up sound waves, but I need you to go deeper. I need you to go further. I need you to allow my spirit to unpack what I'm saying so that you'll really hear it, so that you'll really understand it. He uses that phrase eight times in the gospel, so it's a pretty significant phrase of Jesus, and then he repeats it seven more times in the first uh, three chapters of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. He who has ears, let him hear. The question that the disciples ask is a question that we will be asking as we study these seven parables. Why do you speak to them in parables? Now look at the context real quick. In verse 1 there, they're by the seashore. Jesus has just had some encounters with some disbelieving religious leaders. He's come out of a house. He's gone down to the seashore. Crowds have followed him. In fact, it's so crowded that he gets into a boat and he pushes off from shore a bit and he uses that as his pulpit. That's why I'm using this pulpit this morning. It's so nice. I feel like I'm sitting in the front of a boat, right? It's easier for you to see me too as I'm sitting on this stool. He had already used parables in the past. The disciples had heard some. In fact, a couple of parables in the previous chapter. But now at the seashore, speaking from a boat, it hardly seems time for him to tell another story, right? In, in fact, a story about a farmer. They're at the seashore. Now, maybe there was a farmer in sight. We're not sure. But the disciples are perplexed. They recognize that something is shifting here. And so they directly ask Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you talking to them in parables. You know, implied within that question is this question. Why don't you speak more clearly? <laughs> Why don't you speak to them more directly like you've been speaking to us? His answer is, he has. He has. But the people have not responded. Worse yet, the religious leaders have actually rejected him. The president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, has said this about this verse. When the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables, they were asking more than they knew. And Jesus' answer gave them far more than they expected. When Jesus first arrived on the scene, actually even before he did, John the Baptist heralded his arrival. 
in saying that the, the king is coming, right? His, the, the kingdom is at, is, is at, at hand. And then when Jesus arrives, his words have been crystal clear. We've seen this in the months-long study leading up to this morning. We've been in the gospel according to Matthew, and we've seen that Jesus has been clear. He said he was the king. He proved that he was the king. He preached a kingdom message. He exhorted the people, repent or turn around. The kingdom is at hand. He gave the people all that they needed to know about the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is replete with information about God's kingdom, yet they didn't hear. And as a result, they rejected him. And so in today's text, Jesus is going to answer that question. Why do you speak to them in parables? And I think he gives us four keys. So look with me again at this passage. The first key that he gives is this. Jesus told parables in order to reveal truth. He he is revealing truth by a parable. Look at verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In the New American Standard, which is a little bit more literal translation than the ESV that I'm preaching from here, uses the term grant. It's been granted to you. It's a very strong term. It's a gift. It's it's a grant. It's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is beginning by saying to his disciples, Understanding and embracing what we call the gospel, the good news about God's grace and about the kingdom of heaven, understanding and embracing that is a matter of grace. Great grace. I'll say it now and I'm going to repeat it. It's not because of our intellect. (laughs) No, just the opposite. It's because of God's grace. It's a gift. It's only the gracious work of the Holy Spirit who can enable us to understand and even embrace the gospel of grace, this good news that we talk about here. So Jesus is revealing truth via the parables, but that's not all he's doing. This reminds me of uh, my mother. I grew up in a church much like this from birth. My parents were new believers. My father embraced opportunities for leadership. And it seems to me as a young kid growing up in this Baptist church in Southern California that my dad was perennially the chairman of the deacon board. He probably wasn't, but it just seemed that way. And as a result of that, we would invite people over for Sunday dinner. Now, I don't know what you serve on Sunday after the service, but my mom always had a roast. She had some sort of cooked potatoes, uh, pretty soft cooked carrots, gravy. You can smell it, right? The, the salivary glands are starting to juice up here a bit. I mean, it was awesome. It was wonderful, right? And I would always look forward to that. But we would always invite someone over, maybe a visiting missionary, maybe the guest preacher, maybe someone from the neighborhood who had visited. My parents always brought people home for Sunday dinner, and she would tell a parable. Three letters, F. H-B. She would say it. She'd look around the table. She wouldn't say it loudly, but she'd look around the table. She'd look at my two older siblings and me, and she would say F-H-B. Well, we knew exactly what she meant by that, because <laughs> she had already talked to us directly, intimately, but she was revealing truth here. What she was saying, and the, the, the guests, they had, they had no idea, right? What she was saying was, family, hold back. F-H-B. Family, hold back. In other words, Timmy, you can't eat as much as you normally do because we got to have enough to go around. 
Family hold back. I love that memory. So Jesus is revealing truth, but he's using parables to do it, and his disciples are the only ones who are getting it. However, let's be honest here, it seems like Jesus is deliberately trying to obscure his message by speaking in parables. And if you believe that, you would be accurate. That'd be totally true. Because the second point I want to make, or Jesus makes, is that he told parables in order to judge unbelief. He's not just revealing truth, but he is judging unbelief. Look at verses 12 and 13. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Hmm. It must have been frustrating for the disciples because they would ask Jesus questions or the crowd would ask him questions and Jesus would tell a parable or he would, in this case, he responds to them with a proverb. He doesn't give them a direct answer yet. Oftentimes Jesus would, would respond to a question with a question, right? In this case, Jesus quotes a proverb, and in fact, he's going to quote it again in chapter 25 in the parable of the talents. Those who have are going to get more, and in fact, they'll have way more, and those who don't have are going to have what they do have taken away. What on earth does that mean? What Jesus is saying here is this. Those who accept, understand, and in fact, obey Jesus' teachings will increase in their understanding of his teachings. That's an axiom as true as gravity, and it applies to us today. If we accept, if we understand, if we're obedient to the revelation of God in His Word, guess what? We're going to increase in our understanding of His Word. But those who accept, oh, maybe just a portion, kind of like the, the verses that we really like, you know, the hallmark greeting card approach to spirituality, you know, those pithy little things, maybe from the Proverbs or Sermon on the Mount or whatever, kind of taken out of context. If we, if we only accept a portion of his teachings, then we fail to understand the whole counsel of God, the whole teaching of his word. And we may lose what little understanding we currently possess. In fact, the statement, the one who has not there in verse 12, is the one who has observed or even experienced the ministry of Jesus, but without actually connecting the dots to this kingdom of heaven idea that's at work in the world and that God wants to be at work in their personal life. And when we, when we don't connect the dots to what God is calling us to, we run the risk of not hearing, not seeing, and not understanding. And we, at that point, remain outsiders to what God is doing in His world. That's what was happening with the crowd. They're on the outside looking in, listening to these parables, not understanding. But this is also a caution here. It's not just judging unbelief, but it's also a caution against those of us who have and will get more, in that we must not take for granted the spiritual blessings that God graciously, lavishly pours out on us. And it should serve to increase, to increase our, uh, our gratitude for God's grace in our life. 
So we can see parables reveal, they reveal truth, but at the same time they also conceal, or we might say they present truth in sort of a veiled way. Well, that begs the question too. The question is, why would Jesus purposely veil truth from unbelievers? I mean, isn't the idea to get all unbelievers to understand what Jesus is really saying? And it looks like he's doing the opposite of that right here. Why would he purposely veil truth from unbelievers? Well, a partial response to that, and if I had four hours, I would gladly go into a description of this, but a partial response to that is that this is a condition of the unbelieving crowds, and it's a natural result of their disbelief. It's a natural result of their rejection of the message of Jesus, beginning with the religious leaders and filtering down through the crowd. In a sense, you could say this. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, when three times the the phrase is, God gave them over to their disobedience, their unbelief, their lack of thankfulness, and so forth. God gave them over. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give them over to their own freedom to choose to follow me or to reject me. We have the freedom to do that. And Jesus says, if you do that, then I'm going to purposely veil more truth from those of you that are doing that. To a follower of Jesus, and there are many in this room, a parable reveals secrets. The the term in the Greek is mysteries, the mysteries of God's kingdom purposes. Those things that had been hidden in the past covered and now are revealed, it's, it gets revealed. Parables reveal those things to a follower of Jesus. But to the person who is rejecting Jesus, who is mm, apathetic about Jesus, kind of shrugging things off towards Jesus, then the parable is going to divide in people into two camps. In fact, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, of the grace of God, divides humanity into two camps. Whether we like that or not, it's a reality. Those who embrace it and those who reject it. There's no middle ground. We either embrace the truth of the good news of Jesus or we reject that to our peril. And so in verse 13, Jesus specifically now says, this is why, or the reason I speak to them in parables is because he's dividing, he's drawing a distinction between those who are following him, his disciples who are right there asking the question, and the crowds, those who've rejected Jesus by their apathy, by their unbelief. This theme of division, in fact, is going to run. You'll see it in the parables. It's going to run throughout the parables. It's going to start next week when the parable of the sower is given and then described. There's different kinds of soil. It's going to be talked about in a parable about grain and weeds that grow up in the midst of the grain. It's going to be uh, talked about, the division will be talked about in good versus bad fish. This theme of division runs throughout the parables. And rejecting Jesus brings darkness, uh, continuing um, darkening, you could say, darkness. It brings confusion. It brings ignorance. It brings unbelief. And ultimately, it brings judgment. So Jesus speaks in parables to reveal truth, but he also speaks in parables 
to judge unbelief. The third reason Jesus talks in parables or told parables is to fulfill prophecy. Now, this is something that um, Matthew is, is very, Matthew does a lot. The gospel according to Matthew, he's already referenced many different uh, Old Testament prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. And so Jesus himself now is going to fulfill another prophecy. Look at verses 14 and 15. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, excuse me, with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus now is continuing to answer the disciples' question, why why do you teach, teach them in parables? He's doing it by appealing to an Old Testament prophecy, namely the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 6. If we had read further this morning to the call of worship that Ben read, we would have come across these verses. We would have come across Isaiah's call to ministry where he has this vision of God, holy, 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 and he realizes he is a man of unclean lips. He is forgiven and cleansed. He is then commissioned. God says, whom should I send? Who will go, go for me? And Isaiah says, I will. And then God says, here's your message. And the message he gives Isaiah is this message that Jesus has just quoted. It's a prophecy of judgment against the people of Israel who have been rushing headlong into destruction, and they're about to be led off into captivity, except God sends a prophet, Isaiah, to hold them back. He sends another prophet, Jeremiah, really close to the edge of the precipice to hold them back, and others as well, to no avail. God's people continue on their path of destruction, disbelief, and rejection, and they ultimately perish. But what Jesus is saying here is, is in a sense, he's saying, look, Isaiah's ministry of calling out judgment is my ministry. Isaiah fulfilled that prophecy then, but I'm going to fulfill it again. In fact, the, the term, when Jesus says that the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. He's literally saying it's fulfilled again. It's fulfilled a second time in my ministry. Notice the prophecy. It gives us some insight into what's going on here. In verse 15 of Jesus' quote, the people's heart has grown dull. The King James Version gives actually a, a better translation than dull, and that is it waxes gross. The, the heart has has, is waxing gross. Now, that sounds really gross, right? But what that means is, is that it's, it's, uh, it's growing in its, its thickness. Literally, the word, the word that's used here for dull is literally the word that's used for fat. Literally. He's saying, and Isaiah is saying, to cover over the heart with increasing layers of fat. By the way, in physiology, what happens when we do that? Typically cardiac arrest, right? And he's saying here, by continually covering up your heart, dulling the heart, you're rendering it callous. It's like you're covering it with callous, so as not to heed the words of the prophet, or in this case of Jesus. 
This is an inevitable result of self-dulling or self-hardening or self-fattening, you might say. It's the result of chronic unbelief. Jesus shows that what keeps people from embracing His truth is actually their own darkened hearts. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Prince of Preachers from England, has been quoted as saying, Alas, our heart is our greatest enemy. And is that ever true? But I want us to see something. Look at the end of verse 15. Jesus, quoting Isaiah, says, Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and what? What does he say there? He says, turn, turn, and I would heal them. In the midst of this prophecy of judgment, God offers healing. He reminds them that healing is still available. If only His people would turn. This is an appeal to repentance. This is an appeal to a change of one's thinking, but A failure to understand and grasp the truth of God's Word is keeping these people from doing that, from turning, and from being healed. The fourth key to understand why Jesus told parables is is a much more uplifting key. So we'll end with this key, and that's in verses 16 and 17. The key is to extend blessing. So Jesus tells parables to reveal truth, to judge unbelief, to fulfill prophecy, and then ultimately to extend blessing. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. But blessed are your eyes. He he turns his attention now to his disciples, those who are following him, those who are understanding more and more and more about God's grace and the kingdom of heaven. And he said, your eyes are blessed, for they see your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you're seeing and did not see it, to hear what you're hearing and did not hear it. I love this emphasis at the end of this tough passage this emphasis on this positive blessing of God's gracious gift of understanding and knowledge of His purposes. He tells His disciples it's a blessing because they understand God's Word. they've They've been taught by Jesus, and when they hear a parable, it clicks into place. It makes sense. It does illustrate truth, unlike what's happening in the minds and hearts of the crowd. And that in and of itself is a reminder that this is a gift of God's grace. But it's also a blessing because Jesus says, look, you've got to see things that men and women of, of, of old, great men and women of God from ages past, did not get to see, did not get to hear. I immediately think of two people. I think of Simeon in the temple in Luke chapter 2, and I think of Anna in the temple also in Luke chapter 2. They were given the privilege at the end of their days to see the promised one the baby Jesus, this promised Messiah. And, and it was as, as if any, any further blinders on their eyes were lifted and they recognized who that was because they had been following Jesus, God rather. They had, been, they had been listening to the covenant God, Yahweh. They had been embracing His grace and God gives them this privilege. But that didn't happen to many people in ages past. 
In fact, that's why the writer to the Hebrews begins his great chapter, chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. That's why he begins it with verse 1 when he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not yet seen. They hadn't seen it, yet they embraced it. And Jesus is saying, you're blessed. I'm telling these parables, but you're blessed because you get it, you understand it makes sense to you. I told you I was going to say this again. I said it earlier, but let me say it again. An ability to understand God's Word is not a reflection of our intellect. Sorry. (laughs) It's not a reflection of our station in life. It's not a reflection of who our parents or grandparents were. It's not a reflection of who we worship with. It's a reflection of God's grace. An ability to understand, to perceive God's Word, even a parable, is an example of God's grace illuminating our minds and hearts. The gift of the Holy Spirit who, who, who inspired God's Word is now illuminating our minds and hearts to understand it so that we can understand it, so that we can receive His truth and, in fact, receive more of His truth. But you know what? That begs a question, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. Do you know that blessing? Seriously. Do you know that blessing of understanding God's Word? Do you know it? Do you experience it? Is it a a daily thing with you, right? The sheer lavishness of God's love, of His grace, revealing His truth to you. Early this morning, I sent a text out to the other three brothers that are are preaching this passage today, Scott and, and John and David, and just asking that God would somehow communicate clearly through our mouths, but that He would do a work of grace in all of your hearts. To hear it, to understand it, to embrace it. I want to sum up with some hopefully practical takeaways. I don't want to just leave this as a teaching template for the next four weeks, right? Although it is that. Jesus gave four keys. He told parables to reveal truth, to judge unbelief, to fulfill prophecy, and to extend blessing. And so now we we, we see what's at stake here with Jesus' parables. This next uh, verses of the chapter are very, very significant to the overall narrative of Matthew. He uses parables now virtually every time he teaches, especially to the crowds. It turns out that Their response and our response to his parables reveals something very important about us, and it has eternal consequences. Every one of his parables is an explosive disclosure of the kingdom of heaven. So if we listen to a parable and we only hear a story, something's wrong. We should shake ourselves. Lord Jesus, help me to better understand. Holy Spirit, give me an understanding of what it is I'm hearing. As you listen to the parables the next four Sundays, be attuned to your ability to understand what's happening there. It's troubling, isn't it? We don't like to think that way. Some of these parables we're going to hear, they're not going to fit with our preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. They're just not. They're not going to fit with how we think he should act. We've got to pay attention, though. We've got to have open ears, open eyes to see and hear and understand and embrace. 
People respond differently to God's truth. I think I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. Some people absorb His truth with delight, right? We're just, we're just delighted to, to take in His truth. Others just kind of shrug it off, just kind of, eh, you know, easy come, easy go. And, and still others even campaign, to use a political term, even campaign against God's truth. You know, the mission statement of New Life Church is really significant here. Our mission statement is to engage people disconnected from God so they what? Delight. So they delight in Him through Jesus. That's what we want to have happen. That's what Jesus wants to have happen, even as He speaks parables to make His point. So here's the question. Where do you stand today? Actually, let me rephrase that. I'll include myself. Where do we stand today? Have we received God's grace? Have we embraced the truth about Jesus and His kingdom, His reign, His rule over our world, but also over our lives? Or are our hearts dull, calloused? Are our ears stopped up to God's Word? Do we have our eyes tightly shut to his truth. Look, brothers and sisters, friends, King Jesus demands a response to his gospel. The good news of his grace, the purposes of his kingdom, and the bottom line question is, how are we going to respond? How will we respond? The goal of his proclamation of the kingdom of heaven was and still is today for people to turn to him and submit to his reign, his rule, not only, only over creation, but over our hearts, our minds, our lives. And so I urge you today, acknowledge who Jesus is in all aspects of his character. Submit to his authority. Turn from your indifference or preconceived ideas if you have them and accept his forgiveness and you might want to interrupt me and say, but Tim, you don't, you don't understand how sinful I've been. You're right, I don't, but God does. Jesus does. Accept his forgiveness, his ultimate forgiveness paid for on the cross that we're going to celebrate this morning, but also his daily forgiveness for when we blow it, when we miss that mark that Marshall talked about early this morning accept his forgiveness, and then obey his words, obey his teaching, embrace it and obey it. And then one step further, go out and tell others and bring others (laughs) to this same Jesus, bring others to this same understanding so that they can delight in Jesus as well. 